As we stand in this sanctuary today, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Today's text is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Today we hear afresh the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want us to memorize that today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 3. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we give you thanks for this Sunday morning, we thank you for this fresh year. Lord, we are mindful that it is indeed, as Julie has prayed, a season of uncertainty. Lord, we pray for those today whose hearts are full of anxiety, whose bodies are ill. We pray for those, Lord, who are traveling today. We are mindful, Lord, that there are many, many students that are yet to return to this community. Lord, their minds are filled with, with thoughts that are running quickly. We know, Lord, that we have many in our fellowship of faith that are facing some deep and hard challenges. And some with surprisingly good news. And some trying to find the energy for the living of these days. Lord, we're living in the midst of life. And sometimes it is chaotic. Often it is beautiful. And we pray, Lord, that as we worship you, the true and living God in this place, that you will help us to see with new eyes that you are alive and that you are good and that you reward those that earnestly seek you. Today, Lord, we are seeking you in the praying of our prayers. We are seeking you in the singing of our songs. We are seeking you in the giving. We are seeking you in the welcome. And above all, Lord, we seek you in your word. Your true and living word. We pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that the words of Scripture would become a word for us today. The bread of life that strengthens us for the life that is truly life. And so, Lord, to that end, we come to you hungry, and we come to you with boldness, and we come to you humbly. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us fresh eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that are tender like fertile soil, that your word would be like a seed planted. It would bring forth life and flourishing. We pray, God, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We pray that you make our frame strong, that our work, our deeds in this earth would be like your very own. And God, we pray that a word of life would be heard from our lips 
in this culture of death. God, this is our prayer in the mighty and the beautiful name of Jesus the Christ. And we say together, amen and amen. Please be seated. Congratulations. Congratulations. How many times do you think you have heard that in your life? Someone said to you, congratulations. How many times have you said it? Congratulations. You have probably said it to others far more times than you have heard it yourself. And nowadays with social media, we find ourselves writing congratulations at least once or twice, maybe three times a week. Uh, I, I often crunch it down to congrats. How many of you crunch it down to congrats? And I suspect that your reason is the same as mine. When push comes to shove, you're not really all that confident that you can spell congratulations. <laughs> I mean, it's an odd word. And sometimes when you're kind of in that situation in life where you're just kind of easing off of a hard day and you're online and you're just telling people congrats for this or that or the other, you're not quite positive you can spell the word. Congratulations. It's quite a word. We share it quite often. We hear it, we receive it, we offer it up to others. I really wish our college students were back in town for, for a number of reasons. I just like them being around. But I also have this burden in my own life, in my own heart, to teach them about the olden days. You ever feel that when you're around college students? And, and by olden days, I primarily mean the 1990s. I mean, they, they, they have no awareness of the 1990s. Uh, the 1990s, that was a different planet, man. It's a different stuff. Back in the 90s, we had these things that we all loved called televisions. They were cool. And, and the status symbol was get the biggest television you could possibly get. Did any of y'all back in those swagger years in the 90s have one of those television sets that was larger than a Volkswagen that you had to build special stuff to bring it into your house? Go ahead. Larry Gurley, you had one of those, didn't you? You're so proud. Invited all your friends over for the Super Bowl to watch on that obnoxious obnoxious box. We loved television back in the 90s, and we also had these things, these artifacts now, but these things, they were called magazines. Anybody ever read a magazine? <laughs> and, and, and back in the 90s, television and magazines, they would come together. They would come together, and they would depend on each other, and they'd work on each other. Sometimes they competed, but most of the time they supported one another. Uh, and television and magazine came together in one of the great experiences of the 90s, which was the sweepstakes, the sweepstakes. Do you remember Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes? And they had this group called the Prize Patrol. They just show up at people's houses with gigantic checks. Remember the gigantic checks? And they would knock on the door and they would say, congratulations, you have won the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. And the people in that house, you were so, so jealous of them because their life had just changed. With that big check. Now, the great competitor to the publisher's clearinghouse was a much smaller and leaner company called the American Family Publishing Company. To compete with the publisher's clearinghouse, they had to bring in the big guns. And the big guns were on television. And two of the biggest guns in the 90s were Dick Clark and Ed McMahon. Remember Ed McMahon? Ed McMahon would do the spots for American Family Publishing, and he would, they had the same kind of deal. They had the same kind of sweepstakes. You know what? Ed McMahon never showed up to anybody's house with a gigantic check. But Publishers Clearinghouse was so successful, and Ed McMahon was such a name, everybody thinks he did. 
Most of you think Ed McMahon used to show up at people's houses with gigantic checks saying, congratulations. Some of you won't believe me when I tell you he never did. In fact, some of you are Googling it right now <laughs> because we're no longer in the 90s. But back in those days, the sweepstakes people would show up at your house, ring your doorbell, and say, congratulations, your life has changed. Congratulations, everything's different. Congratulations. Today is not quite what yesterday was. Living in a college town, we have other rituals of congratulations, other congratulatory rituals. When young people are accepted into Baylor University, high school seniors and whatnot, they flash their names across the jumbotron at McLean Stadium and they say, Congratulations, Crosby Boyd, you're coming to Baylor. Now, they put that name on that screen in an empty stadium. Nobody's in there to see it, unless you're eating lunch at the Baylor Club. But you know what they do with that? They take a photograph of that, and they send it out on Instagram and TikTok and the people's grandmamas. Congratulations. Your life is altogether different. You're going from high school to college, and you're going to college here, and this education is going to change your life. Congratulations. Welcome to your new life. I came home from work one day, and there was a big pink sign in our neighbor's yard, and it said, Congratulations. And it was in that yard because that young couple that lived next door to me was bringing home a baby girl. Congratulations. Your life would never be the same. Congratulations. Congratulations. We spend our life congratulating people for events that are supposed to change their life. And when Jesus came among us, when Jesus tabernacled in the flesh and he drew people to himself, the first words he spoke to those disciples, those committed ones, those who had left to follow, the first words he spoke were essentially, Congratulations. That's what blessed means in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. It means, it means congratulations. It means blessed of God are you. It means your life, your life is changed. Your life is changed. For the next two months, we're going to look at these congratulatory announcements of Jesus from the sermon. We're going to hear him say, congratulations. This is what it means to be alive, and this is what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be swept up into what God is doing. This is what it means to live the life that is really life. Congratulations, Jesus says. And we'll see that some of the things Jesus congratulates people for are different than what we congratulate people for. And sometimes the ways of the kingdom of heaven are upside down ways from the way we view things. But man, it's coming from God in the flesh. So we need to pay attention to that. Because when God in the flesh says, congratulations, we want to know about what excites him. We want to know about what, what he believes is worthy of a sign in the yard and a name on the board. We need to know what he thinks is really on the big check of life. 
Congratulations. And today we start out with the foundational one, with the core one, with the base one, with the first one. And that's blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was big, big, big on this one. It was the, the text of his first preaching. It was his first line of precept. It was the content of one of his great parables. In preaching, precept, and parable, Jesus says again and again throughout the Gospels, congratulations, you who are poor in spirit, for the way of God belongs to you. Let's start with his first uh, preaching event. In, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes in and he's given the scroll of Isaiah. He is the guest preacher in his hometown and he's going to proclaim the word that day and he's given the Bible and he opens up the Bible and he reads the words of Isaiah 61 4. We had him in our worship guide today about how the spirit of the Lord was upon him to declare glad tidings to the meek to the poor in Isaiah and in the life of Jesus, to be poor before God wasn't simply to be without material possessions. All those, those who had little materially were often in a better place. They had a little bit of an advantage when it came to that which was really vital to God. And that was being poor in spirit. That was being meek. In that very first sermon, the text of Jesus' very first round of preaching, uh, he read the words of the prophet. And the words of the prophet said, good tidings would be proclaimed to the meek, to the humble pious who knew their need for God. This very first beatitude was rooted in the Old Testament scriptures as all of them were. Craig Blomberg has put together a beautiful little chart that just put all of the beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount on one side of the page and corresponding Old Testament texts on the, on the other side of the page. They all come from the scripture and God from the very beginning of time had been revealing his heart through the holy scripture and in Romans Paul said those things who were written before were written for our instruction and our encouragement that we might have hope and God's people were hungry for hope they wanted to have hope in this world and a day in time a place in time in a gathering not totally unfamiliar to us something very similar to this Jesus the Word made flesh stood and he took the written Word of God and he proclaimed the Word. This is the Word in the threefold sense coming together in that one moment in time. And in that one dynamic moment, Jesus began by saying, Blessed are the meek. Good tidings to them. You only get one chance to start out. And this was Jesus' first shot. This was his first word. And his first word is his last word. And his first word is congratulations, all you folks 
that know you need God. That means everybody gets to play. And that means we all have to come the same way. With empty, needy hands. Waiting to be filled. No one, no one, no one gets to swagger into the presence of God. Nobody gets to cut a deal. But the God of all creation came to us and went to a tiny little town, the backside of a small little country, and picked up the word and said, Today, it's real and right in your presence. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Not only was it the text of his first preaching, it was the line of his first precept in that scene in Luke 6 and in Matthew 5 when Jesus gathers those disciples to him. They're the people who have left to follow him. They have, they have pushed all their chips across the table they're totally and completely dependent on Jesus in this moment in time. There was a multitude around them, but Jesus looks at the disciples and he speaks. Out in the open where everybody could hear, he says the truth and the mystery and the wonder of it all. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is one of the great questions of life. Whose is the kingdom of God? Whose is the kingdom of heaven? Some of the answers that have been promoted in the past and even in this moment are, well, the kingdom belongs to Rome. The kingdom belongs to those powerful enough to take it by force. The kingdom belongs to the winners. Other answer might go like this. The kingdom belongs to the religious elites, those who have jumped through all the hoops, those who have climbed the ladder, those, those who like some type of pinnacle celebrity Scientologist have made it to the top of the pile and can look down on all the rest. The kingdom belonging to Tom Cruise and none other. The celebrity the elite, the powerful, the wealthy, the peasants. The peasants. Maybe the kingdom belongs to the peasants. The kingdom belongs to some who have come from places of power and some who have achieved religiously elite status and some who were wealthy and to some that were peasants. For out of all those categories can come the poor in spirit. Those who have reached the end of themselves and found that they are still needy, who are willing to cry out to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the gospel verse makes us individuals, so we have to come out of our categories. We have to come out of our, our tribes. We have to come out of our identities. We have to come out of our families. And we have to come to Jesus. And then making us individuals, he puts us into a community, a community bound together by the entry 
door qualification that we are together the humble who know our need for God. His first precept. And if we're going to get the kingdom and whose it is, we have to get this first precept. This congratulations. Those of you who know your need for God. And get this. He doesn't just have a sermon text and he doesn't just have a precept. Jesus came telling stories and he told great ones. And in Luke chapter 18, and, and Caitlin talked about this today with the kids and we all got to eavesdrop. In Luke chapter 18, he tells this fantastic parable about the way of the kingdom and the way of God and, the, and life with God. And in verse 9 it says, and he spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He told the story. He told the story about the religious elite one who came into the place of worship and said, I, 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 I. He needed a Holy Ghost ophthalmologist. He had a major eye problem. A lot of us do too. I, I, I am so glad. I am not like that. I am not like her. I am not like him. I am so glad. He was basically saying, God, I am so happy we're here talking because you are lucky to have me. Nobody would say that with a straight face, but we say it with our attitudes from time to time. Tim Keller used to say, the problem we have is that most of us in this part of the world are middle class, upper middle class of spirit. We depend on God for some stuff, but ultimately we think he's lucky to have us. I added that second part in. I'm a little saltier than Tim, but he's smarter than I am. So we're working together on this one. <laughs> ah. And then there's the other guy. And this is how he talks about himself and how he talks about God. He starts out, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. You see, he identified himself in relationship to God. It was God and me in the place of worship, not I, 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 I. There's really only two ways to come before God that's barking I or saying, God, look at me, a sinner. Give me your mercy. And Jesus says about the one who came like that, congratulations, you know your need for God. To you belongs the kingdom of heaven. To you. Paul was writing his great epistle to the Romans. And he would take little breaks along the way as he was writing them. It's, it's a much larger epistle than is normal. It had cost nearly $3,000 in today's money just to produce, just, just to put it together and send it off. It had cost $3,000. And he's writing to these people and he wants them to understand his heart and how he views the gospel as revealed to him by Christ as he's marinated in the Old Testament. 
and he's writing, and every now and then he takes a break. And sometimes in his writing, he takes a break to praise God, and sometimes in his writing, he takes a break just to look inward and to reflect on this impact in his own life personally. Because if it wasn't going to matter to him, it certainly couldn't matter to them. And when he got to chapter 7, toward the end of it, he just takes a little break. It's a little psych psychological break. Uh, and he says before he broke, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Notice he doesn't say, what will deliver me? He doesn't, he doesn't say, what will deliver me? What ideology or what system or what agenda? He doesn't say, what will deliver me? What, what ten things? He says, who will deliver me? And then his very next words, as he preaches the gospel to himself, go like this. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who? Jesus Christ. Go into the presence of God. What can wash away my sins? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You come to the end of yourself You've lived the life of, of the preacher of Ecclesiastes and you have, you have checked every box. You have grown wealthy. You have grown wise. You are the envy of your peers. And finally, after you've achieved everything, after you've got every ribbon, every trophy, every award, after your neighbors want to come and take what is yours because the green eye of an envy has turned upon you, when you get to that place in life and you realize you're not alive and you wonder why having all this stuff that they promised me, I, I this would make me whole, this would make me right. When you get to the end and you're standing on the top of the pile and you look down at all your trophies and you know you're not alive, at that moment you are able to say, who will deliver me from this pile of stuff and death? And there is but one answer, and his name is Jesus. Or maybe you're at it from another way. Maybe the challenges you have, you know if you had a thousand years, you would never climb from where you are to the lower, the lower echelons of the middle class. You know it's been stacked against you from generations. And you feel like quitting before you even start life. But you're able to come to the place where you hear the great invitation of the inviter and you know that that inviter is God and you know that life is not in the abundance of things but is in life with God and you hear that invitation and you hear congratulations. Those of you who know you need God and you can say with all the honesty without burning up all those years of your life, I know I need God. And from the corridors of heaven, you hear the ringing congratulations of God. Why? Because yours is the kingdom of God. And even as you struggle, even as you grow, even as you live, even as you move and have your being in this earth, you know there's not a single moment of it that you are alone 
or that you're fighting by yourself or that someone is not with you. Congratulations. Blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The great psalmist came before the Lord in Psalm 27 and prayed in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Hear when I cry with my voice. Have mercy on me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face will I seek. Jesus told us the first thing, the first thing was to seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else would be added unto you. And his word teaches us that there is no kingdom without a king. That is the great idolatry. That when we seek the kingdom, in the truest sense, what we are seeking is the face of the king. And it was the king that said, seek my face. It was the king who said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was the king that said, come, congratulations to those of you who know you need me and who know I want you. I'm here for you. Come. Come. Come and drink and eat. Buy from me without money. Come. The wine is for you and the bread is for you and the milk is for you. Come. Come. Come and sit. And come and seek my face. On this early Sunday in a new year, may we go back to the most fundamental thing. And the most fundamental thing is God's invitation to come. Blessed, happy, congratulations to those who are coming to God. Knowing that from Him are the springs of life and pleasures evermore. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you. We thank you that you have invited us to come. We thank you that you have said congratulations to those of us who know our need for you. I pray, Lord, that as individuals and as a community of faith, that we would humble ourselves in your mighty presence, that you would lift us up. Lord, your word says that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And we pray in this day, in this hour, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, through your gospel, would heal the hearts that are broken under the sound of my voice. Lord, out of your love and for your glory, we pray you do it even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. If you have made commitments in the privacy of your heart, but you believe God would have you make them publicly, 
commitments to follow Christ, to be baptized, to unite with this church, we invite you to come for God's glory and for your good. And where you're standing, where you're singing, I pray that you would, you would afresh come to the Lord who loves you and wants you today, that your relationship to God would not be I, 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 but God, me, God, me. Before the day's out, I want you to say, God, me, me. He'll heal your broken heart and he'll whisper his congratulations to you because you belong with him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's sing and let's respond. Andy.